Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Sabbath School from Home. We're kicking off the third season of this podcast. And who'd have known back when lockdown first started with the coronavirus that interruptions to church community would last this long? We're excited to have you here with us, participating in a conversation around themes emerging from the Sabbath School lesson. And this quarter, the topic is education. So we're going to do something a little bit different this season. It's going to be sort of a back-to-school theme. We're going to dig into some of the expertise we have, things we've studied and learnt, and share some insights that give a new light on some of the topics as they come up in the Sabbath School pamphlet. We hope that you enjoy encountering a number of new ideas or some old ideas in new ways. That's certainly become a bit of a theme of what we do on this podcast. My name's Lachlan, and I'm in Sydney, and I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, g'day. I'm Ken. Uh, good to be here. I'm Luke, calling from Hong Kong and arriving just in the nick of time. Yeah, it's good to have you here, Luke. My name's Cameron. I'm calling from Launceston, Tasmania as well. Now, the discussion in the lesson this week, Locke, is on education in the Garden of Eden. And I'd like to uh, run a discussion on some of the themes that emerge really early on in the Bible and that have been really formative in Christian thought and in helping us understand and create a worldview and navigate the, the universe we find ourselves in. And the theme I want to look at is the connections between chaos and order. Just before I start, because I've got a great story, I have to tell this one, it's too good. Uh, this is a story, Locke and Luke and Ken, which I think sheds good insight into the sort of difference teachers can make in their students' lives. I was talking with my sister, who's a teacher in Burnie uh, recently, and uh, she is at a school uh, where there's this fairly low socioeconomic background, nice kids, but from difficult circumstances, and uh, they are sometimes a bit erratic. And she was met one of the more erratic students in the playground and uh, asked him where he'd come from. He said he'd just come from drama class. And she said to him, oh, did, did you have fun in drama? And he said, yes. And she said, well, what were you doing? He said, oh, I, I was a giraffe. And... She said, well, so this sounds good. There's obviously some theatre game going on in drama class. Anyway, um, when she mentioned this encounter to the drama teacher afterwards, the drama teacher was completely mystified. There was nothing they were doing in class that had anything to do with animals. <laughs> so I think education is going to be a very fruitful topic for 13 weeks. My experience is that it's quite rare um, circumstances where education actually takes place. And... We are all of us much slower at learning things than we ought to be. And certainly if you look at the Bible as a, as a record of God's attempts to educate humanity, uh, you know, the best teacher doesn't, hasn't always had the, the most success, uh, perhaps not even with me. And that's a challenging personal thought. So uh, the verse that I'm going to take as a jumping off point is, uh, the first two verses of the Bible in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, I think the original Hebrew in this passage is, is it's a phrase that's not used elsewhere. I think it's uh, for the formless and empty. I think it uh, the words are tohu wabohu or something like that. And uh, one scholar I heard comment on this passage suggested that they should be taken onomatopoeically. Just the sound of them is enough to convey what, what's happening here. The, the world was tohu wabohu. 
I'm sure my pronunciation is terrible and I, I may be misremembering the words, but uh, this is idea of primordial chaos. And that's contrasted against God creation. So I'd like to play a few games. I, I have done a bit of study in maths in my time. And the mathematics I studied actually involved randomness. And there are some nuances to randomness that I think are very helpful for myself personally. They've been very helpful for helping me build uh, what I think is a more accurate and a more, uh, much more interesting and uh, scintillating and exciting and challenging uh, picture of how God might be interacting with the world that we're living in. Uh, Locke, I ask you to bring a calculator. Do you, do you have a device for doing multiplications? Luke, you can do this too if you can if you can load up one up on your phone and can. I've got a challenge for you. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, I want you to multiply some single-digit numbers together, and uh, I don't care which ones. In fact, it's make it difficult a real random mix of single digit numbers so you a two times a four times a seven times a nine times a two times a two times a four times a six you know just uh, random numbers multiplied together and i want your final answer to be reasonably large something in the in the billions so seven or eight digits and uh, let me know when you've got that oh maybe i went too far 15 billion that's that's good enough okay so what i want you to do lot is I want you to read out those digits in any order you like. And uh, if a digit is repeated, read it out twice. So if there's more than one, two, read them out separately. So read, read out the digits of the number in any order you like, but leave one of the digits out. Oh, okay. So I choose one to leave Correct. out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read them out to you now. Okay, Six, do it slowly. Yeah. Five, one. Oh, hang on. Uh, five, one is yeah. Seven, one, yeah. Six, six. Ooh, yeah. Zero. Yep. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Was your missing digit a four? Yeah, it was a four. <laughs> oh, that was that was pretty good. Uh, has that uh, Luke or Ken? Have you have you attempted this? Yeah, I've got one. You got one? Okay, so it was a good mix, was it? A nice mix of, di of single-digit numbers all multiplied together? Yes. Okay, read out the digits, but um, leave one of them out. Do it slowly. Okay, I'll leave one digit out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and trick you. Hey, good, good. <laughs> okay. Uh, in, in a random order, right? In a random order. Randomness is the name of the game here. But does it have to be a, num one, a number that's repeated that I leave out? No, no, or? you can leave out any digit. Yeah, in my case, in my case, the four that Cam guessed was there was no repeats of a four. So okay, all right. He's, he's obviously able to cover that, Ken. Yeah, yeah. I do it by smell. Um, <laughs> a highly calibrated sense of smell that operates over a distance of many thousand kilometers. All right, <laughs> let's go. We'll test it to Hong Kong. Yeah, seven. Yeah. One. Yep. Zero. Yep. Seven. Yep. One. Five, uh, three, yeah, two. Missing digit was a one. Huh. Well done. Yeah, uh, it was a one. All right, Ken. Uh well, it, will it will it work if it's gone into the you know the scientific notation? With it it will, provided nine? you've got all the digits. Ah. So if your calculator has abbreviated the number, oh, if if, I, if your calculator doesn't have enough. I reckon it's... Oh, no, here yeah, we go. Yeah. No, I've just, um, I've just turned it up. 
Um, so okay. turn it sideways, so it will. It'll, yep. It gives me them all. Okay. Okay. Uh, two. Yep. Five. Uh, yes. Nine. Yep. Nine. Yep. One. Yep. Five. How many of them uh, do you need? I need... You read out all the digits except for one of them. Okay. Well, then zero, zero, zero. You missed out a five. Correct. Yeah. Well, I just got three out of three right. I don't... You won't always get them right. But... Well, I'm pretty uh, sure I would that? pretty much always get them wrong, Cam. So, <laughs> would, would you? <laughs> yes, I would have a one in ten chance. <laughs> yeah. well, well, but I just did it three times in a row, right? So that's one in a thousand because it's it's a tenth of a tenth of a tenth. Uh, yeah. So what's at what's at play here? Um, it is obvious that the random choices you are making are not affecting something in the answer. In other words. Uh, what we're discovering here is that your random choices is not producing something random. And I'll explain this game by the end of the podcast. Maybe we should make it by the end of the season. Keep, keep <laughs> um, uh, I'll explain keep it by the end guessing. of the podcast because the maths in it is is not that tricky. And this is a game I actually use when I'm, when I'm asked to take a class with uh, students with very uh, poor mathematics self-esteem because they get right hooked and by the end of the class it is something that can be explained reasonably easy so so dear listener don't be upset if you if you're not into maths i think that i think that you'll enjoy this one but before i do what i said before was that uh, your random choices are producing an outcome which which isn't entirely random otherwise i wouldn't be able to work out what the missing digit was so my next question is, what would something look like if it was entirely random? How would you know? I'm, I'm not sure. Could you? Could you know? I presume even in something entirely random, you could find what seemed to be patterns or, or looked like order. I, I remember we've all, well, Cam and Locke and I have all done a lot of hiking and you know that when you're doing untracked walking you can very often come across things which look to all the world like a path and you yeah. really really believe it's a path yeah. but it just isn't yeah and they often start heading in the right direction too and it's only if you're paying attention that they start to deviate and disappear and yeah. not be the path and, and i'm, I'm thinking, thinking in a tree um, yeah. and realize it wasn't a path after all yeah, uh, Cam. I'm thinking of an answer to your question. Um, yeah. If you're rolling a dice, for example, um, yep. You could pr- you you would you would say it was a random dice as opposed to a um, rigged dice. If you rolled it many 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 times and you ended up with a roughly equal number of times on each of the different numbered faces. Yeah, but look, that's um, that disturbs me because you're right. What you're saying is the dice is fair in the sense that it is you're no more likely to end up on one face than on another. But the way you yeah. described that to me was was by describing a regular pattern. What you're saying is if you re- re- uh-huh. roll the dice a billion times, one sixth of the time you'll get a one, one sixth of the time you'll get a two, one sixth of the time you'll get a three. That is itself an expression of order. 
some predictability. Mm. So okay. what you're saying, Cam, is is that true randomness is defined by its predictable patterns. The way we describe randomness is defined by its predictable patterns. And when Google says there's a 50% chance of rain, what it means is they've run 100 computer simulations based on today's weather, um, trying to predict what tomorrow's weather will be, and half of them said it would rain. On that basis, they say there's a 50% chance of rain. But all probabilities, everything we do with probability, when we say we throw a coin and what's the chance it's a heads, well, it's a 50% chance that it's a, that it's a head. That is assumed, premised on the idea that if you flipped many, many, many coins, half of them would be heads. Right, let me give you a test. I'm going to give you a string of digits. You have to tell me if they're random. 89793238468. I'll say it again. 89793238468. Now, I'm just going to say, because... I just have a suspicion uh, <laughs> that uh, they're a series of numbers that have been taken out of uh, the ratio of a circle to its, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, radius of a circle they, to its, its circumference. A, they they have gonna... been, Ken, because it's it's 3.141495926535 oh, it is the 20th to the 29th <laughs> digits apart. Yeah, you, I know, because you memorised that. Like. With, a, with a crazy competition with a good friend in grade four, I memorised pi to about 30 decimal places. It's not a very useful party trick, but it does help catch that as not being random numbers. Well, here's a random yeah, well, piece not of random information because... for you. Here's a random piece of information about that. I play the flute in uh, the uh, University of Tasmania Wind Orchestra, and... Uh, one of uh, I replaced uh, a wonderful uh, flautist who went to study uh, flute in Hobart, uh, and uh, she has had a world record for the memorization of pi to a certain number of you know places. Oh, um, so that's spectacular! <laughs> <laughs> they mean if you had a perfect circle and you divided the uh, distance around the edge by the distance across the middle. It doesn't matter what circle you pick, you always end up with this number, and, and we can study things about it with, with great precision. Here's, an, here's another one. You need to tell me if this one's random, and the clue's going to be at the end. Uh, 04021987. It's not hmm. enough digits to be your phone number. No. <laughs> it's uh, a date. Uh, the 4th of February, 1987. It's it's my birthday. So that has meaning, but the meaning's not in that. That, that number has no mathematical significance that's, that's particularly special, but it means something to me. The meaning of that number is not in the number. Uh, right. It, it, it is effectively a meaningless number, but, a random number, uh, if but, you don't know. But every number is random if we don't bring significance to it. So, um, Well, yes. And uh, this is a comment that C.S. Lewis made when he's talking about the size of the universe, and Chesterton made it as well. He said people get uh, overawed uh, that the universe is so large. Uh, but if we're allowed to feel an emotion about its largeness, why, why ought we not also feel an emotion about it, its smallness? Why, why aren't we amazed that the universe is no bigger than it is? Why aren't we flabbergasted at how small the universe is? It's... As the sensation of, of meaning that we attribute to the size of the universe, the fact that it impresses us, is something in us. It's not in the number. 
and corres- corresponding to that is is the fact that well we may be on a small planet um, uh, in a small solar system in a small galaxy um, uh, of, as part of a relatively large universe uh, but that doesn't have anything to say about the significance no do we think elephants are more important than fleas no they're just so, different Cam, i have a i have a, a this is a genuine question yeah then that i would like your opinion on you've yeah. clearly thought about this a lot more than than i have um is if there's no one to observe it and ascribe meaning to it is not everything then random or without yes. order yeah if if all the order is in in the observation of it uh yeah and interpreting it yes i i think that there is a sense in which i would argue for that uh and for instance i'll give you an example that lachlan you'd be able to tell that's a mathematician's answer but <laughs> it's um, almost the lawyer's answer Um, but look what if i said to you what's energy if you say what's heat energy the physical thing that heat energy is is vibrating particles when things are hot the atoms are just vibrating more uh the physical phenomena is vibrating atoms if i said to you what's electrical energy i don't even really know what that is myself but there's a thing called an electric field and depending where you are in the field depends how much energy you have would that be fair enough lot yeah that's reasonably good Okay, but it's a different phys- what the physical thing is different. And yeah, indeed, to, the, to heat that's energy. right. Yeah. And what what would be another sort of energy that you could have? Uh, well, you could uh, have you could have gravitational energy. Ah, oh, yeah. When you climb a mountain, you have more energy, and when you fall off the cliff, you you turn that energy into speed. So yeah, that's why uh, it hurts. And when you hit the ground, the energy gets spent breaking you up. So, uh, oh, but that's and a there'd be some thing. heat energy there too. Yeah. But that's a different thing to vibrating particles or electric fields. But we call them all energy. And we claim, we say that in some sense they are the same thing. They're not the same thing. It's just that we know from experience that you can turn heat energy into electrical energy. Mm-hmm. And electrical energy into heat energy. And because we can turn one of these physical phenomena into the other in a measurable, predictable way... We then come up with these with a theory of a thing called energy, and it's a construct in our minds that that imparts order and structure into the universe that we're observing. Hmm. So, and for, forgive me for interpreting this conversation in a way that's maybe not your point, but as we gain in knowledge collectively or as individuals, are we literally creating more order? <laughs> Uh, what I mean to say is, until we know how to convert heat into electrical, yeah. or electrical into heat, that relationship effectively doesn't exist because unless we do it, it isn't done. Yeah, I think I think in as much as the meaning is not in the thing, the meaning is not in the vibrating particle. It's just a vibrating particle. Uh, you know, um, Rabbi Sachs, who I've quoted before. Um, said that scientists, he wrote a book about science and faith, and he was talking about how important these different fields of human endeavour are. He said, scientists take things apart to discover how they work. But theologians put things together to find out what they mean. Which is which is an insightful comment. Uh, it, it's borne out by, for instance, um, 
everything. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. How do you think of an example to explain everything? Uh, but finding out what things mean. What does the world mean? That's what Genesis. Genesis, that's, it's right in front of me. Open book here. Genesis is, is an example of trying to discover what the world means. And the world starts in this state of chaos. And we really enjoy contrasting God's actions as being opposed to the chaos. And they are in the creation account. So God... Uh, God separates the world into three spaces in order. So there's light, dark, and then there's the waters above to the waters below, and then there's the dry land with vegetation. And then he goes and fills those spaces in exactly the same order he creates them. So he fills the light Mm. and darkness with the greater and lesser lights. He fills the waters above and the waters below with the birds and the fish, and then he fills the dry land. And it is obviously one of the points in Genesis is that God is a God of order, that creation was deliberate, that it that it that we can say on the authority of Scripture, if, if we have faith that this holds some fundamental truth about the universe, we can say with with whatever confidence that faith, faith can bring us, uh, you know, it's not absolute certainty because it's faith, not knowledge, but uh, with as much confidence as you can have when you have faith in something, we can say this universe means something mm-hmm. because there is a mind behind it. So that's that's one side. Of course, we are very concerned uh, by basically, Lachlan, I'm afraid to say, it's all these heretic scientists who who keep insisting on uh, randomness. You don't sound very afraid, Cam. Yeah, well, I was trying to explain this to Mel and then I realised that it's it actually, we try and cut things both ways because sometimes we accuse scientists of introducing too much order. When Isaac Newton was uh, talking about gravity. He had these theories that explained how the planets move where they are. And when you drop things, why they, how could they speed up? His theory explained things very well. And he was preached against very loudly and vociferously from the pulpit uh, because he was taking away from providence. Previously, people thought yeah. the planets moved around the sun because God moved them. Well, this is a... This is a well-documented and, and really fundamental thing. Obviously, we you, you already alluded earlier in this episode to weather forecasts, but how can you forecast the weather when it's just God's or the God's will, whether the rain or the winds blow? Um, yes, understanding weather uh, takes uh, a thing which was in the domain of the, of the deity and brings it out into the domain of the somewhat ordered and understood. Now, the weather... Is hard to predict far in advance because it's it's actually not very easy to to describe. It's a chaotic dynamical detail. system, and and if we have time, I can talk about chaotic dynamical systems. Um, by the we end. almost certainly don't. Okay, um, so fair enough. Uh, but you're right. And w- when it comes to theories of evolution, uh, uh, people with certain mindsets from uh, arguing from a, a viewpoint, a worldview of faith and, and, and uh, an experience of God uh, are upset with evolution on both fronts. They are upset because it introduces too much order. It does what Newton did. It takes something we, we imagine the creation of life and the, or, you know, the God setting life forms in their present form and they will be fixed and stay that way. And it's God's, it was God's action and it, it needs no explanation, just like the planets going around the sun need no explanation because God's doing it. Uh, and so in one sense, evolution uh, ex- explains too much for us to feel comfortable. 
But then in another sense, it explains too little because it employs chaotic mechanisms. This idea of random changes to the genome uh, being one of the factors that allowed speciation of the Earth and different species and divergences of species. We're very upset about having a, a chaotic mechanism underneath. Mm. So your, your question then at the start of this episode about how do we identify random... Um, how would we argue something really is random and sort of what does random even mean? Is then mm. a really pertinent question in this context? It's a very pertinent question because we are applying it to the entire created universe as we, as we look at it. The, the question is, as we've, and this is the question humans have been asking forever, when we, when we sit on our front porch and look at the start, night sky or when we hold a newborn infant in our arms, uh, when we see an amazing vista, when we see a rainbow, uh, is the thing we are seeing random or does it mean something? And of course, I'm here, I'm mudding the waters a bit because sometimes I've opposed in this podcast, I've opposed randomness with order. Um, whereas in what I just said was opposing randomness with purpose, which is not quite the same spectrum. So uh, um, that's, I, that's worth discussion on its own. Yes, Luke. Yeah, I wanted to point out that there is a, a very core assumption what you were talking about with the the sort of i think the issues that a lot of people have um a lot of people of faith have with the very concept of scientific knowledge there's a very core underlying assumption there which lachlan highlighted in that story of um newton in that for a thing to be the work of god it is necessary for us to not understand it yeah that, that is the assumption that, that a lot of people today, especially maybe even, make, is that if it, if it is to be God's domain, we can't understand it. We can't know how it works. But I don't see that that is necessarily the case. Why can we not understand the mechanisms by which God controls the motion of the planets? You know, these are not actually incompatible ideas. Especially if we're made in his image. And and the fact that we can understand the physics behind, you know, planetary orbits does not lessen the fact that if we believe in a creator God, that is a God who made those physics and therefore, by means of those physics, controls the motion of the yeah. planets. I know, Luke, that there's a variety of opinions within the Adventist church about evolution and there's different uh, microevolution versus macroevolution uh there there's a there's many when we use the word evolution it's a very imprecise term so uh it is possible that some of our listeners might be upset it's also possible that what they think of when they think of the word evolution might not be what i think of so i, I want to put it out there that it's a it's a very awkward term it can mean anything from uh the this year's variant of the flu being different to last year's through to an explanation for the every species of life form we see today so so that it's a very difficult term or or even the commencement of life itself or the commencement of life itself which is a totally separate question so it's 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 an unfortunate term i apologize to anyone who's listening who may be upset this space is made unnecessarily complicated by the fact that the words don't always mean the same thing and please bear with us i, I think that when we get to the end you'll see at least what we're meaning by the discussion that, now, that qualifier, Luke, was meant to precede a comment that I've forgotten. What were you talking about? <laughs> I was talking about the fact that a, fu a fundamental assumption is that, uh, which I think is false, 
is yeah. that for something to be the work of God, we must understand yes. nothing about how uh, it occurs. Yeah, and my, my follow-up comment was, uh, for something to be the work of God, it cannot include anything random. Mm. That that's that is Nicely one of the done. things that's leveled against against evolution at whatever level you choose to use the word evolution. So mm. my question for us is: Is randomness opposed to purpose? Well, uh, uh, I've, I've not no. thought I've not thought about I've not <laughs> thought about why it might not be opposed to purpose, but I wonder if it might go uh, uh, something like this. Um, uh, Randomness is not opposed to order in the sense that order is something that we conceive and uh, attribute meaning to something because we see the order in it. Um, And if we attribute meaning to something then that is giving it a purpose or at least describing a purpose Um, and so in that way it's not opposed if you follow it through from uh, randomness the attribution of order being itself an attribution of meaning uh, which is itself an attribution of purpose. They're not opposed. I, don't think they I think you're right, Ken. I don't think they are opposed. Maybe not for the reason I've expressed, but... <laughs> Cam, I would, I would add to what Ken said, which I think is an excellent point, um, is that there's a very simple way we can sort of prove it in that if you can conceive of a situation where a human being could use randomness for a purpose... Yeah. then surely God, who has all of our capabilities multiplied infinitely, yeah. can also do the same. Now, this podcast began, Luke, with a human being using randomness to achieve a purpose. With me, I, I guessed all your numbers. So, uh, which is almost time I, I reveal that out. The, the concept of something being random is so difficult to pin down. In, in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, do you remember that their spaceship is powered by an infinite improbability drive and when it's activated it 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 immediately results in the most improbable thing possible happening <laughs> I do recall <laughs> that right. Yeah and at one point at one point in the book they activate the infinite improbability drive and they're holding their breath to see what happens and nothing at all happens <laughs> because that's the least likely thing that could happen <laughs> upon, upon the activation of the infinite improbability drive. I mean, you might can just get tied up in knots uh, trying to do these things. Here's another demonstration which I'd love to be able to do, but it doesn't work well over podcast form. But I might, like, can we link to a video in the description? Yeah, we can certainly put a, a hyper-reference to a video. I'll put a video up on YouTube that I made when I was at uni. Uh, when I first learnt this, and it blew my mind, and I, I made an animation to illustrate it. If you put three points on the page, let's say the three points are the same distance from each other, so they're the corners of a triangle, an equilateral triangle, and then you you pick a corner, a random corner. Lock, can you pick a random corner? Yeah, Top, I can. Bottom. I would pick. Yeah, I would pick the bottom left. 
Bottom left, okay, okay. Okay, and what, what I'm going to do is I've, I've put a dot on the bottom left corner. I'm drawing on a sheet of paper in front of me. Um, Luke, can you give me a random corner? Um, top right. Top right. I'm going to step towards the, the, the vertex at the top. I'm going to step halfway towards it and put a dot at the page, and that's my new position. We're, we're executing something called a random walk. And the, the rules of this walk are is wherever I am now, I pick a random corner, I step halfway towards it and put a dot on the page, and that's my new position. Ken, what's a random corner? Uh, bottom left. Bottom left. Okay, but okay. So I step half the way towards it, put a dot on the page. Uh, lot. The bottom right. Okay. The question is, I keep doing this for a long time. Is and, and, and the choices at each point are random. There's a random choice of corner, and you step halfway towards it, put a dot, dot on the page, and and you do a random walk where you wander around um, in between these three points. The question is, is the picture you end up with random fuzz or structured order? Lachlan knows the answer because he did this. I do know the answer, but I, I I can see that a very natural... One answer that occurs to me um, is that it, you could easily imagine... Because if you kept choosing one corner, you'd sort of keep stepping closer and closer. You keep halving the distance going there. And then if you choose another corner at random, you just sort of step back towards it. It may well be reasonable to assume that you you fill the inside of this triangle evenly it's reasonably obvious you can't step outside the boundaries of the triangle mm. because you have to always be stepping towards one of the corners yeah and it it is interesting if you start with four points on a page you do end up with a what what appears to be a fairly random fuzzy like there's, there's nothing there's no picture that emerges if you do it with three points though you get a very structured picture it's called the Sierpinski triangle and anyone who wants to do a google search for the Sierpinski triangle can look at it it is a it's a fractal it's a shape with infinite detail it's highly structured you get it every time it doesn't matter what random sequence of corners you pick in fact if you want good coverage of the of the triangle then uh, a random sequence is is one of the most efficient ways of doing it <laughs> hmm. I, I would say, as, as somebody who's studied a little engineering, I'm not at all surprised that the triangle gives you more structure than the square. Yes. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, it turns out that if you if you want to use four points, you have to do it in three dimensions. So the, the four points can't be on a flat surface. And then and then you, because in three dimensions, then you've got a tetrahedron. It doesn't matter. That's, that's irrelevant to the, to the discussion. But the point is, <laughs> the point is that the chaotic mechanism in no way interferes. In fact, it enables it in acts a purpose well but does well, but why then is structure associated with purpose why is if, if randomness is not opposed to purpose why is it that structure is related to purpose um uh, why does the fact that it produces and and, and what is it well, about that the outcome yeah, of that okay. random so thing that causes us to attribute in... it as orderly rather than random yes yeah, yeah, no, it's one of those things. If you if you do have a look at the Sipinski triangle, it's like it's like a a, a sort of triangular lace, where mm. that that triangle that Cam started with, there's the, the there's a triangle, a quarter of it, the middle triangle, so to speak, is completely empty. You can't fill it at all, and then all of, then there's four three little sub triangles, and they have the middles missing, and you end up with a pattern mm. that looks exceedingly. Um, intricate and symmetric and ordered it looks the opposite of random it looks the sort of pattern that that would be crafted really carefully by by a very detailed designer working with with a set of straight edges of course Sierpinski didn't didn't invent it 
He discovered. He discovered no, that this is didn't. what happened, and so it's not his purpose we're enacting. What I meant when I said it's something that obviously achieves a purpose, I, I actually meant it achieves my purpose in <laughs> in convincing you all that, that that randomness is more subtle than than it appears on the surface. Cam, this is quite relevant to our discussion about the sort of development of human knowledge and scientific discovery, because I just looked it up on uh, Wikipedia, because of course. And it says here that before Sierpinski described it mathematically in 1915, similar patterns had appeared in decorative designs from as early as the 13th century ah, cool. in parts of Italy. When you see mm. it, everyone, everyone who's listening needs to do a Google search for Sierpinski Triangle, and you will see something that has to exist. When you see it, you say, that's so cool. That has to be something that exists in some sense, it's a it's something that's real. If an abstract shape could be a real shape, you look at it and you think that's that's too cool. And there are apps that you can get where we can give a link to these too, if you want, like where you, where you can zoom into it and you zoom in forever and ever and it never ends, which is too much fun. I the the point that I was I was making is that it it clearly this this mathematical system existed before somebody actually defined it in mathematics yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was recognized by people before they knew the rules behind it yes. if, to the point that they could create it they could draw it they could they could weave it they could carve it whatever, they could imagine it. without actually understanding well all everything about it the the really fascinating thing it. about this triangle shape this pattern is cam you just described a random process that gives rise to this exact picture but you could describe a very very orderly systematic approach start with yes. a triangle that's colored in black remove, remove an upside down middle triangle yeah and then you've got now three black triangles do the same thing remove their middles then you've now got nine little triangles remove the middles of those and keep forever removing the middles of the black triangles you will arrive at exactly the same picture by an incredibly ordered and systematic process that doesn't sound yeah. random in any way. In, so in it other is words, really remarkable. In other words, if you looked at the finished product and said, is this the result of a random process or not? The question doesn't even have meaning because yes and yes, it, there, there are different processes that could work. <laughs> the, the point that I want to make though is, if you were only privy to a small number of the steps, if I only showed you four or five of the random steps and there wasn't enough of the dots generated to give you a sense of the shape and structure, and I said to you, is this a random mm. sequence and does it produce a random outcome? You, you could be forgiven for saying yes. And when we sit in our armchairs and pass judgment on the universe, we are assuming... When, when we say, oh, I think, I think that there is a mind, a, a personality, a, the being at the back of the universe, or when an atheist says that there is, uh, that there is no personality, no meaning, uh, no, no personal meaning behind the universe, uh, both those points of view are, are, are statements of faith. They go well beyond what we can see with our eyes. Uh, we are not privy to the universe. We can't sit back and pass. We, we can't say... We can't complain about the universe as if there were three universes on offer and we chose this one and realised it was a dud. And we can't celebrate the universe as if there were three on offer and we got a ripping deal and it's going to last for a billion, billion, trillion years and it's going strong and I'm glad I picked this one because because that's we play these games. But 
we are one of the dots in the picture and we see a very small number of the of of the steps on either side of us and and you could not expect to tell whether the thing was random or not people who who look at the universe and say this is obviously impersonal and random are i think uh overstepping the boundaries of of what they can be sure assure of i think the people who say there is a definitive absolute ironclad proof that there is a personality behind this that, that, that there must be god and i found a proof and it's in atoms arrangement of some thing I, I think that they they may also be overstepping the mark a little bit it is it is just not easy to tell if something is random or not and it's also the case that if there is a personality he could very well he or she he or she could very well choose to employ a random mechanism for very specific purpose. And as as we've just seen, a random mechanism can produce a structured outcome. Yeah, indeed, a a beautiful outcome. A, a predictable, a beautiful, a highly anticipated. The randomness doesn't interfere with the construction of that outcome it genuinely is the mechanism by which it arrives but you have to you have to encode that randomness within the right set of rules if you start with two dots on the page instead of three or if you start with five dots on the page instead of three it doesn't work that that was the point that i really wanted to make cam was that Mm. randomness is only a part of the process it is randomness Mm. uh with that operates with a set of rules. In this case, three points selecting one other point randomly. There's the random process. But then here's the other rule, um, moving half the distance. So moving half the distance isn't random. That's that's a rule. That's That's not random at all. That's something that's selected. And which is more, that is something which is selected or at least observed by a mind. Um, yes. Uh, it, it has no meaning. It has no physical reality until it is uh, imposed by a mind, um, or and, or, and if, or viewed by a mind. If you talk to a scientist, and and I happen to know one fairly well who who works in quantum physics, <laughs> uh, what would they tell you, Locke, about randomness? Is the randomness in quantum physics? unfettered randomness randomness that obeys no structure at all well no it it is randomness but it obeys very clear um sort of statistical behaviors which is why you can actually gain a huge amount of insight into the processes by by either sort of doing the repeating the experiment enough or looking at enough um you know instances of it the 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 really quite accessible idea is as a single radioactive atom uh, like uranium for example a single radioactive uranium atom you really cannot predict when it's going to do its radioactive decay but if you have a lump of uranium with billions of those atoms you can very very reliably predict when half of them will have decayed because although each individual process is random it's random within a very very well-defined statistical behavior. Which is analogous to this example we gave earlier with flipping coins. You don't know if it's heads or tails, but you do know if you flip the coin many times that the ratio of heads is going to be half. So, And That's if you right. talk to a biologist, on, just by the way, biologists don't believe 
that the random elements in evolution, whatever sort of evolution they happen to be talking about at the time, they don't believe that that randomness and its impact on life is completely featureless and has no structure and is and is the infinite improbability drive of the universe. They, they don't believe that. And this leaves us in, in a quaint circumstance. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out two things to our listeners, and uh, one of them will be reassuring and one of them will be a little bit challenging. So which one first? <laughs> uh, thro- throw the dice, Cam. Uh, flip okay. the coin. <laughs> Um, I, I need something to flip. I don't have a coin to flip. No, okay. The, so the 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 reassuring one is this: you don't have to abandon a scientific mindset. You don't have to think of yourself as a ridiculous person. You don't have to think of yourself as 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 being irrational to believe in miracles. Believing in miracles is is as rational as as any other belief, in the sense that the universe we inhabit is a mystery. Even very simple problems like the digits I gave you or the patterns we've produced or the um, games we've played in this podcast, it's very difficult. It would be very difficult in retrospect or if you only saw the final outcome to distinguish whether the process was random or not. We don't know. And there isn't evidence in the thing sufficient to convince you if it's random or not. It is actually a viable possibility that there could be a God. And if there is, he may choose to act, I'm going to say randomly, it's a loaded term, that the miraculous is in one sense no more or less miraculous than the regular. I mean, what if this is what Chesterton said? What if the reason the sun rises every day and, and that it follows such ironclad scientific principles, not just the timing of the sun, but the fission within the sun and the you know, everything, all the science that informs us about why the sun's shining and, how to, how, and its impact on life and everything... Uh, the theories we have as scientists just effectively encode the fact that this thing happens the same every day. What if the reason it happens the same every day is just because God's never got sick of it yet? What if he's like a three-year-old and he says every morning, do it again? And he says to every uranium atom, he says to every uranium atom, do it again. Uh, you wouldn't know if the decaying uranium atom had a mind behind it. You couldn't tell by looking at the atom. So, so we don't have to be embarrassed about our faith. We, we live in a mysterious universe. We can hold our head up high. We can do good science. We can do good education. We can do good art. Do good, we can engage in fields of human development. We, we, we don't have to uh, somehow uh, sever ourselves from these things in order to lead a life of faith. A life of faith is compatible with them. So that's, that's the encouraging thing. The challenging thing is this. Uh, it is not fair to look at an evolutionary biologist and say you must be wrong because there is a God of order and structure behind the universe and you are describing something that, that has random elements in it. There, there may or may not be other um, uh, issues that people could take with evolution. I'm not going to talk about them because they're outside my field of expertise. But, but it is quite possible that if you ran the universe and restarted it and ran it a thousand times, a million times, a billion times, that it would always result in a sentient life form capable of knowing its creator. In other words, the random elements described by evolutionists are not opposed to a God of purpose. And when you look in the creation account, the chaos 
at the beginning is not so much a physical chaos. It's not the physical chaos, it's the absence of meaning and purpose. And what God creates is not just a physical universe, he creates purpose. The light and dark is created for a purpose, to separate the day from the night. The the sun, moon and stars are created for a purpose, to rule over the day and the night. The, uh, the vegetation is created for a purpose, to feed uh, humankind and the animals. Even, even humankind is created for a purpose, to live a life with God, in a companionship with God. And that is such a grounding, I think, accurate, empowering, so, so important worldview. But bickering about whether God employed random mechanisms to achieve those purposes is missing the point. It, it's really missing the point. And we should spend a lot less time arguing about how life developed and more time talking about why it developed. I think it would just be more fruitful. So, so that's the challenge. Uh, we've run out of time. I won't be able to explain the game. Or maybe I should. Go, you better. I think you should You should have a go. Why not? <laughs> okay, it's really easy. Uh, the number I told you to create was random in the sense that I've no idea what your number was and it employed a random mechanism, but there's something about the number that's not random. And, and I'll explain it this way. How many things can you divide into 60? Can you divide 60 by 2? Yeah. Yep. 3? Yes. 4? 5? Yes. 6? Yes. Yeah. You can't do it by yep. 7. No. You can't do it by 8 or 9, but you can do it by 10. You can divide it by 10, mm. you get 6. So 60, yeah. 60 is a number that you can divide by many things. That's why base 60 is such a good system. Yeah, yeah. that's why we have 60 minutes in the air. What about 61? How many things can you divide into 61? Is it a prime number? Yeah. Sounds like it to me. Yeah, feels like a prime number. Feels like it is. I think it's prime. So uh, 60, you can't divide anything. You always have these remainders. So because I asked you to build a number, the way I described it to you, I said, please build a number by multiplying things together. Mm. That means the number you created has heaps of factors, heaps and heaps. You can divide it by heaps of stuff because you built it by multiplying things together. So for instance... Mm. I can say with absolute certainty, not absolute 100% certainty, but pretty close, the number you, you wrote down was even. Because if any of the numbers you chose was even, if any one of them was even, then your end product mm. will be even. Mm. So, And if you chose all odd numbers, you probably weren't doing it randomly. Uh, see, and I tricked you because I told you to mix it up and make it random. In point of fact... The way you, you the way you fail that game is if you if you just if you just pick the same one if you did two times two times two times two times two times two it wouldn't work I wouldn't have got it right. But that it, is a random possibility. It is possible, but if you ask a human to do something random, they won't do it. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> I I did put a bunch of nines on the end ah, of mine. Thank you, Luke. Nine because I wanted to get up to a billion. <laughs> well, nine is the magic Quickly. number. If you if you if you either used a nine somewhere. Or you used a three twice, that gives you a nine. So if you did a times three and then later on you did a times mm. three, that gives you a nine. Or you did a three times a six. Because three sixes yeah. are 18, which is a multiple of nine. Or you did two sixes. If you did two sixes, that's 36, which is divisible by nine. So if, <laughs> if, if you either used a nine or a three twice or a three and a six or two sixes, then the number you finished with was a multiple of nine. Yeah. And if you if you add up the digits of any multiple of nine, you always get nine. Yeah. <laughs> so so like I'm looking at a sheet of paper. When I added up when you read out the digits, I just kept adding them together. And when it got bigger than ten, I just added the digits together. So if it was on an eight and you told me seven, eight mm. plus seven is is fifteen. 
So I just did a, a 1 plus 5 is 6, and I just wrote down a 6. So you just add digits together, and whenever it gets bigger than 10, you just add them together again. And I, I wrote it all down. The last thing I wrote down was a 5, which means your di- missing digit had to be a 4, because it has to add up to 9. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh... And in this, in this case, with the zeros, they just don't count, because you're adding them. So you just, yeah. Yeah. And the 9s don't count either. Whenever you set a 9, I could just ignore it, because because it doesn't change the technical term this won't mean anything probably uh, except you lock maybe it's addition mod nine anyone who's into modular yep. arithmetic can write in and inform us on the <laughs> the, the address sabbath school from home at gmail.com uh you you just add the digits up and if if when you add the digits up you get a nine then you're stuck because the missing digit could be a zero mm. or it could be a nine because a 9 plus a 9 is 18, and when you add the 1 and the 8 together, you get 9. So th- that's where you fall short. And right. And 9 plus 0 is also 9. And 9 plus 0 is also 9. So uh, none of you conveniently chose that. And you all were very kind. You, you all, And this is the other thing. People think the problem's harder if they make the number big. But it's easier because the bigger <laughs> the number is, the more likely it is that you've chosen 3s or 9s when you mm. multiply them together. Yeah. So, so that's why you said make it a billion. And that's why when Lachlan said 15 billion, you were like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's good. That's, that's very good. Exactly. So it's all a trick. And it, it's not actually certain. It's just it's just pretty likely that I'll be able to guess that. Uh, so you can all try that. Our listeners can try that. You Tell people that you want a random number. And the number is random. You don't know what it is. It's random in the sense that it's created by a random process. But the random process is happening within a predefined framework. These random digits, that the random number they're creating, has to be formed by multiplying single-digit numbers together. And if you ensure the number is big enough, and if you tell them that it must be random, they should mix it up a lot, don't, you know, make it hard, mix it up lots, then they'll probably choose some nines or threes and sixes. And then they can read the digits out, and the order doesn't matter. You, you add the digits up as they read them. And... Uh, they'll arrive at some answer. And if they arrive at a two, the missing digits are seven because it should add to nine. And if they arrive at a six, the missing digits are three. Mm. Uh, so it's a good it's a good demonstration, I think, of the fact that uh, uh, the word random, it's very hard to actually pin down what it means. And we can certainly be less frightened of it. I think we can say quite comfortably that uh, quantum physics and even, even random influences in... in animate as well as inanimate aspects of our universe could easily be it's possible at least that they could be uh, achieving through a genuinely random process specific plan purpose a goal they could be imparting meaning to the universe uh, as much as any other process we could imagine so uh, let's be less frightened of randomness that's Mm. that's my summary that's fantastic, Cam. Thanks for that. Thanks for teaching mm. us um, something new about randomness. And I hope that the all, all of you listening are looking forward to um, coming back to the future episodes coming out in this quarter of our podcast, where we're going to be educating ourselves um, or sharing some elements of things we are educated on that shed some light on the topics that are coming up from the lesson. So if you do have questions, comments, feel free to email them to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Thank you to those of you who have sent encouraging remarks. Yes, we get them, we read them, and we enjoy them. And uh, if you do feel like adding to the conversation at all, uh, write your comments or questions and we can include them in future discussions. 
So thank you for listening and we'll join you again next week.